everyone has their weakness. And I think hanging on to money is mine. But it's just taking that and moving from that place and saying, like, okay, now what do I do about this? Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I'm thrilled to have Paulette Perhatch here today joining me on Breaking Money Silence to bust open the myth, if I get money, I'll just lose it. Welcome, Paulette, to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Kathleen. I'm really excited to delve into this myth. Um, but before I do, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a writer who is bad with money, learning to be better with money. And I'm the author of Welcome to the Writer's Life, which partially talks about making the money work as a writer. And in 2016, I wrote an article that went viral about women and money. And so that's kind of become part of what I like to write about and think about. You also have your own podcast. Isn't that true? That's right. It's called Can We Talk About Money? So you and I are very much on the same wavelength. Ooh, well, I'm really excited to kind of talk a little bit about uh, your myth. So tell us again what the myth is and what motivated you to pick it. So it's if I get any money, I'll just lose it. And I think this is a myth that some people who have experienced a big loss have. And so my family went bankrupt when I was eight. And so I saw us, you know, lose our house and lose cars and um, really lose stability. And I think anyone who's lived through the recession, which I bought a house right before the recession, so then I lost my house again. And so now I just really find that I have a hard time amassing money. I seem to just spend whatever money I have, and I think that's exacerbated by just kind of this deep fear of amassing anything and just losing it. So you lost a house when you were a kid, and you also lost a house as an adult? Yeah. So wow. I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And I, um, my dad actually died in an accident when I was 17. And I got a little bit of money when I was 23 and bought a house in Florida. So that didn't go well. But what I hear is you kind of continue to kind of try to move forward. So let's talk first about the upside of this myth. I know that sounds odd, especially if we're just highlighting mm -hmm. that you lost two houses. But clearly, you are committed through your podcast, uh, Can We Talk About Money, and, and some of your writing to really uh, work on this both personally and help other people. So how how is this myth sometimes a positive for people? Or how do you think it serves you to think, you know what, I'm just going to lose it. So, you know, why not spend it or... Whatever. Well, there was the three months I traveled in South America last year. That was great. Um, <laughs> awesome. So you've had some nice experiences. Yeah. You know, and it's like some people cling to money so tightly they can't do anything and they're not enjoying it. And so I recognize that the other side of the spectrum is an issue as well. Um, so, yeah, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences that, of course, when I look back, I'm like, no, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But you know, when I have friends now who have nice houses and, you know, we've had similar incomes and I see, oh, if I had been saving this entire time, I could have a house like that by now. Um, you know, I think 
that there's a balance. So part of it makes me very much live for today. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, which can be great, you know. Um, and I, I think that I'm less attached to um, physical things than I might otherwise be. Um, I'm a tiny liver right now and enjoying that. And really from having my life dismantled several times, I've really seen that I can live very low um you know, on low on the scale of lifestyle and, and still be happy. And that's part of that Peace Corps as well. I was a Peace Corps volunteer. So, um, you know, just knowing that I can live on, on little, but I definitely enjoy life's perks and going out to eat and things like that. So I don't want to pretend I'm like, um, you know, a monk or anything. I'm certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> well, also what you're highlighting, I think, is is fascinating, is that there's there's a balance, right? So it, it's an all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Many myths are all or nothing. And your myth of, you know, if I get any money, I'll lose it is an all or nothing statement. But it sounds like the upside mm-hmm. is I've had some wonderful experiences. The other thing mm-hmm. I just want to chime in, I have a good friend who lost her father at a young age, and she has a very similar money myth. Um, and so I wonder, you know, on some mm-hmm. level, what the influence of losing a parent and, and, you know, experiencing that type of trauma early on does to your relationship with money. That's interesting. And I, you know, also in David uh, and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about um, how a lot of artists and innovators and other creatives have lost a parent when they were young because it kind of cracks you open and frees you in a way that no other experience can. It's like you see like the worst thing happens to you and then you live through it and then everything else seems a little less scary. Right, right. So you're trying to bust through this myth though. And you're, when you said you're in a tiny place, is that a tiny house? It's a tiny apartment. Um, So my apartment is 150 square feet. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So you have downsized uh, to the nth degree. Now tell me, um, you know, what, in what ways has this myth gotten in the way and, and how has it led to you making decisions like living in a very, very tiny apartment? You know, when I see that I'm not saving enough money, I just made a big decision about the biggest cost, right? I said, I'm going to live in the cheapest place I can. I mean, it's not the cheapest place possible. I live in pretty much the most desirable neighborhood in Seattle, which is now insanely expensive. Um, And so I really, I recognize it. And I think one of the biggest things I've been working on this year with the Can We Talk About Money podcast is not hating myself for being this way. I'm just saying, like, kind of a phrase I have about life and who we are is, like, this is the horse I'm riding. You know, my personality, who I am, my experiences, this is who I am, and I can't run away from that. So instead, just accept it and put the right baby gates around what you need to put baby gates around, right? So I'm very – I think that's one of the reasons I need to be so open about saving and money is because I'm not very good at it. And I just need to talk about it so that I get some of the shame out of the topic and, um, and have the best outcome for myself that I can. One of the things I say in my book, Breaking Money Silence, is, um, you know, we're as sick as our secrets, that saying you often hear in Mm. mental health. And it sounds like for you, speaking about it, having a podcast about it, writing about it, helps you stay accountable and helps kind of you be more compassionate with yourself, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, I talking about it is so amazing. There's been so many things in my writing that I never thought I could put on the page. And the second I did, it was like this huge relief. And then when I publish things like that, so many people just say like, oh, I have the same thing or someone I love has the same thing we're dealing with. So 
we're never really alone. You know, there's 7 billion people in this world. Someone else out there is having the same experience. Probably a million people out there having the same experience. So, Paulette, um, I will be back in a second. I just want to stop for a quick commercial break, and then let's delve into some tips and tools for people who are listening in who have bought into this myth as well. Did you know that 44% of Americans would rather talk about politics, religion, and death than personal finance? And there's a real cost to this money silence, to society, your family, and the next generation. Kathleen Burns Kingsbury's new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk More Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life, explores the history of the money talk taboo and offers readers practical tips and tools for engaging in healthy financial communication. Pick up your copy today. Breaking Money Silence is available on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. Join the revolution at www.breakingmoneysilence.com. We're back with Paulette Perhatch, and we are talking about the myth, if I get money, I'll just lose it. And uh, Paulette, remind us at a high level, what's the downside of this myth? The downside is that you don't have enough faith to start and keep at it, because in order to have any kind of habit that really only will affect you positively if it accrues over time, like eating well, exercising, saving money. You have to believe you're going to do it again. You have to believe you're going to do it consistently with time. And if you just think you'll lose the money anyway, you'll be less inclined to make those little sacrifices that you need to make to save money. So if I say like, oh, my friends are going to the movies, it's going to be, you know, 30 bucks when you put in beer and popcorn Um, I know I shouldn't go, but, oh, like, I'm probably not going to save next week, so I might as well just go. It's kind of the throw in the towel, why bother? Yeah, and, you know, or you say, like, I mean, the the recession was insane. It's like, oh, your house, your biggest investment is now worth half of what it was worth before. So it was really this, um, you know, like, it just felt like twilight, the twilight zone just. I can't believe this is really happening. This is real life. You know, that's a huge kind of mental earthquake that we all went through at that time. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've come out on the other side and you're really working through uh, your writing and through your personal life to um, do things differently. So I'm wondering, like for anybody listening in that identifies with this myth, what are some tips or what are some action steps that they can take to start on the road to recovery or to uh, busting this myth open? Well, I think getting a little bit more of a bird's eye view of history and reality, you know, you can see over the last hundred years, the, um, the cycles of the market, people who do save money, make money and it does accrue, you know, there are, there are laws of nature that seem to be flipped upside down in 2008, but overall they still hold. And so I think also making yourself accountable. I started in 2010, a blog, just a personal blog where I put all my numbers and, um, and just had a little graph of getting out of debt and really just sent it to a few people that I knew and loved and said, I'm going to do this once a month. I'm going to just check in, put my numbers out there. And so getting accountable and saying, this is something that I find myself believing and getting support from people who love you to say, like, I know this is a belief that I have that isn't really correct. And to take care of myself, I'm going to do everything that I need to do to overcome it. It takes a lot of courage to put those numbers out there. What helped you do that? (laughs) 
I just was like sick of the panic. I basically my house at that point was being short sold, but I had people in it and um, I had moved to Seattle from Florida and they called me to say the pipe had broken and I had like $130 in the bank. And it just, that panic is the worst feeling. And the one thing that can help you get out of bad situations in so many different ways is money. It doesn't solve all your problems, but it solves 90% of your problems, right? It can become, it can, you can buy time, you can buy space, you can buy a new pipe, you know, you need money. And I, you know, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with hanging on to money. Um, but I think just being open about it has been the thing that helps me most, you know, because everyone has their weakness. And I think hanging on to money is mine that I just have that really hard time with it. But, you know, when you do look at my past and what's happened to me over my life, you can say, okay, I can see why that is. It's not, it doesn't mean that I can just like lay down and be like, well, these things happened to me and now I have to be, now I'm this way and there's nothing I can do about it. But it's just taking that and moving from that place and saying like, okay, now what do I do about this? Well, and it reminds me that everybody has a money personality and it's formed uh, in a variety of different ways. And so this uh, financial trauma and emotional trauma that's happened in your life um, very young and then more recently makes sense that then you would have certain behaviors. And so instead of being a victim, what I hear is you're trying to be compassionate, you're letting people know, you're asking for support, kind of all those things that I think help all of us with our financial Mm -hmm. lives. Um, And I just know for so many people, putting those numbers out can be really scary, but it sounds like for you, it's really helpful. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, it's not a personal thing. I mean, half of Americans couldn't afford a $400 emergency. Like you see, it it just, the system is so rigged to have us spending all of our money. You know, in general, the market does not want you to hang on to your money. The market wants you to spend on, and spend it on clothes, on software, on apps, on a new phone. You know, there's so many things pulling at us. And I, you know, read this book called Brandwashed about neuromarketing. So they're now putting people in, you know, MRI machines and seeing what part of your brain lights up when you see this ad or that ad. I mean, we have been hacked. The human brain has been hacked to, you know, spend our money. They know where to poke to get us to spend money. And so we're really all struggling against that. And it's this invisible war. So we have to be compassionate with ourselves and say, we're just trying to make it through this minefield of ads and temptations and do the best we can, but we're all struggling. And so I think that what you've shown today for anybody who's listening in is it's important to be honest, uh, open. And I think, um, you know, I'm really honored that you shared our, uh, your struggle with us today, because I know that that isn't always easy, but it, it also can be really helpful. So in the true sense of breaking money silence, you're a breaking money silence revolutionary, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I know that you recently released a book. And uh, before we kind of turn it uh, down for this part of our uh, podcast, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about your book and where they might be able to find it. Yeah, so um, my book is called Welcome to the Writer's Life. And it's for anyone who wants to incorporate writing into their life, whether it's at the level of, hey, I want to, you know, write for half an hour every night to I want to make my living on being a writer. And I call it freshman orientation for new writers. And I think I'm really at the place where I want to help creative people figure out the finances while I figure out the finances too. So there's one section called your, your writing business. And so it talks a little bit about making money as a creative, whether that's writing at your day job, 
having a totally unrelated day job and still making it work as a writer or trying to, um, you know, write creatively for a living. And it's available wherever uh, people are buying books these days. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to pick up a copy, and I love that we met uh, through our shared podcast and our shared interest in (laughs) empowering uh, women around money. And I want to thank you so much for your time and, and your insights today, Paulette. Thanks so much, Kathleen. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.